You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, listeners, welcome back to this episode of What the History. You are listening to episode two. Uh, this is Casey. And this is Sarah. And today we're going to be talking about Elizabeth Schuyler Hamilton. Uh, we thought we would ride the cultural zeitgeist a little bit and look into Eliza now that we've all watched Hamilton like 10 more times on our couch. Yes. And now we actually can like visualize people instead of just like reenacting scenes in our shower. Like if people did that, uh, hypothetically speaking, um, we're, we're going to get into a little bit more about why she's such an important figure in history, I would say more specifically, like, you know, I was reading in one of the articles that I was reading in researching this was called Why Elizabeth Hamilton is Deserving of Her Own Musical. And I feel like by the end of this episode, hopefully y'all will agree with us because yeah. she... Yeah. And there's actually like a, a theory that goes around a lot that the reason the musical is called Hamilton is because you're not supposed to know if it's about Alex or her by the end. Ooh. That's right. cool. I actually haven't that, seen that. Yeah, that it's Hamilton. And by the last song, Hamilton doesn't just mean Alexander. Hamilton means Eliza. Right, right. Oh, yeah. That's actually really cool. I really like that. Yeah, I like that and choose to believe it's true. Yeah, I think so. Because again, w- what we get into today is a lot of like, you're going to see why she was such a hero, I would say, because she really did contribute a lot and a lot more behind the scenes stuff that unfortunately women in the 1700s were it was typical of them to do like not really get recognized for it so i feel like there's a lot to unpack with her which is cool yeah so um let's just jump right into it um yeah. so elizabeth schuyler was born on august 9th 1757 and i just want to shout out that she is also a leo right. uh, because i too am a leo which is exciting what a very leo thing to do it's a very Leo thing to do. Even as I as I was typing it, I was like, damn, I'm so Leo. Um, <laughs> so she was born in Albany, New York, and she was the second daughter of Philip Schuyler, who was a wealthy landowner, and he would eventually be a Revolutionary War general. And his wife, Catherine Van Rensselaer, which I really am looking at that word now, and I'm like, why did I not research this pronunciation beforehand? So, uh, yeah, so she's crazy Dutch. Um, Both of them actually are super Dutch. They both came from um, very wealthy and influential families who had settled in the area uh, of like upstate New York in the mid 1600s. So from what I found, she was one of 15 children. Nope. Eight, (laughs) eight of which actually lived to adulthood. So. Um, I put in my notes because usually when I tell my students this, they're like, why do you have so many kids? And it's like, first off, I'm not having 15 children, kids. So just people in general. Um, So it was really common because honestly, most kids didn't live past two years old, um, Mm -hmm. either from illness or injury or, you know, just living in 1757. So it was very common for families to have a lot of children. There also wasn't a lot of like birth control available and it was just sort of expected for you to have a large family, um, especially if you were wealthy, but even more so if you were working like on a farm because you needed people to, you know, do the labor for you. If you were a slave owner. I'm going to take that excuse away though, because Philip Schuyler owned a ton of slaves. He did. Yeah, he did. I think they were just super, you know how a lot of like sometimes like Catholic families are just yeah. like they just keep breeding children. So 
they're like super religious and i think that that's a big part of it but yeah philip schuyler did own slaves um so actually that's something that i think when we look at why eliza had the upbringing she did it was because she was coming from a very like privileged place um more so than i would say even hamilton did even though he was a white dude which is just a consistency to privilege i feel like um he actually came from way less which is going to be a big part of their story so like i said she was the second child of this couple uh with the name i can't last name i can't pronounce but skylar i'm good with um (laughs) so angelica skylar was the eldest child followed by eliza uh or elizabeth we'll call her elizabeth until she's eliza margarita or peggy which fun fact did not know peggy's name was margarita (laughs) I, I know Peggy is short for Margaret, which doesn't make sense, but Margarita really does feel thrown in here. Yes. Like, I, I don't know. Where did they get the name? Mar- Margarita just seems like not a Dutch colonist. Right. I'm not sure how we went. Angelica, Elizabeth, Margarita. <laughs> right. Because then the next girl is Cornelia, but then she dies, so I shouldn't have laughed. There's another Cornelia. And like, again, I just feel like the name Margarita is very out of place. Yeah. Um, after Cornelia came three different John Bradstreet Schuylers. So what I mean by that is there were three of them and there were three of them because two of them died and one of them survived. So okay. they just kept naming their children John Bradstreet Schuyler until one of them survived. So then you've got Philip Jeremiah. There were three triplets that were born. I think they actually, I don't know if um, Catherine had miscarried or if this was like they were born and they just died very quickly that they weren't able to be named. Cornelia, again, this one survived. We've got Cordland. Again, I definitely should have Googled how do you pronounce these names. And then one more time for everyone in the back, Catherine Van Rensselaer Schuyler. So basically they all just named themselves and their children. Yeah, I feel like maybe it was more normal back then for women to name their children after themselves. Yeah. Because men still do that all the time, and everyone's totally. fine with it, but it's weird yeah. if a woman does, and I guess they did that back then, but we stopped it. That's actually funny you say that, because I thought it was super weird, because Eliza's going to do the same thing with her kids, and I was like, that's weird, but then I was like, fuck that. No, it's not. Like, Yeah, men do I, that all the time. I, yeah, like, if I want to name my kid Casey, I'm going to fucking do it. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'm probably not going to, though, because I've had to deal with people not spelling my or spelling my name wrong or pronouncing my name wrong for 28, yeah. almost 29 years. So. So, yeah, so she had all of these siblings. She grew up in a very privileged, very wealthy family. And that was kind of just her overall, like, early stages of childhood. Cool. So I tried to do some research into her relationships with her sisters. Um, partially, it's a big thing in Hamilton, and Angelica, at least, will come up a lot throughout her story. Unfortunately, most of the research when you search Angelica and Eliza has to do with Angelica's relationship to Alexander Hamilton. It's yeah, I saw that come up a lot. Taken over the narrative. So I did find some information that Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy were all born one year apart. So 56, 57, 58 and were the oldest siblings. So they were all very close growing up. And then after Peggy was born is when you had you had a series of children who died. So Cornelia, yeah. who lived to be a couple years old, and then a series of John Bradstreets. 
And so the three of them were the only siblings that were living for a good chunk of time. So they were all known oh. to be very close. Um, that and they makes all, sense. Yeah, they were all close up until each of them eventually died. And even though what you hear about is Angelica a lot, because Angelica was a little bit more politically vocal and she was involved in talking to Alexander Hamilton and talking to Thomas Jefferson... I just wanted to shout out Peggy because Peggy was actually <laughs> also pretty involved in politics and was known to be very charming and very good at speaking to people. Mm-hmm. And she grew up seeing some of her dad's work in the war because she was still at home. And so she had access to some different information that she would hear through their father. So mm-hmm. she was doing her own thing. Um, and she was also very close to both Eliza and Alexander. She did not have have a thing going on with Alexander, so it gets downplayed. But she was very close, and there's a lot of correspondence between them, all three of them, too. And it really does seem from that that both Angelica and Peggy were, like, obsessed with Eliza and talk all the time about what a wonderful person she is and how lucky anyone who met her was and how great she was. So they were actually very close, and there was no evidence of any actual rift ever coming even between Eliza and Angelica or anything like that. And so we'll hear about Angelica kind of throughout this. There's a fun fact I'll bring in later to to not spoil something that we all know happens. But we just wanted to, to side shout out Angelica and Peggy out of those 15. They get associated with Eliza a lot. And now with the musical, they obviously get grouped together a lot. And right. so she did have yeah. a special relationship with the three of them. I think their next living sibling is about 10 years younger than them. So there was yes. a good chunk of time where it was just the three daughters and they were the Schuyler sisters. Yeah, because I mean, Cornelia, there's Cornelia, that's one. And then there's two John Bradstreets and then the third John Bradstreet survives. So that's yeah. at least four kids. So that's got to be at least like three years. Yeah, and it looked like it was, I want to say maybe 10 years difference between Angelica and the next one. Yeah. So they yeah. had some time the- where were the only children. The youngest, too, is 24 years younger than, I think, Eliza, which yeah. is, like, crazy. I cannot fathom my mother having children at 24 years old. Like, Yeah, because oh I God. saw things that were, like, Eliza's children were contemporaries with her younger sisters. Yes, yes, which is, like, sure, crazy to me. So Especially during that time, because the mother would have had to be in her 40s, and right. I imagine you're really talking a m- lot more, like, high risk in terms of being pregnant at that time. That's true. But um, so, yeah. So growing up, like we were kind of saying, Elizabeth definitely had uh, a lot of privilege. But believe it or not, comparatively, like you said to her siblings, she not that she wasn't the smartest, but she really just had a very basic education. She was schooled at home and she learned to read and write from her mom. And I guess her mother also taught her how to like sew and like, I don't know, like catch an advantageous husband and bear children, and whatever. So like Eliza was raised. Yeah, so Eliza was raised in the 1750s, 1760s to be a wife and a mother, which she's going to kick ass at. And there's nothing wrong with being either of those roles. But for Eliza specifically, she focused a lot of her energy into her faith. So like we were saying before, um, she and her like family were part of the Dutch like immigrant community. Um, and she and her family were raised in the reformed Dutch church of Albany, which actually still exists in upstate New York. So it's still like a 
a, a congregation. I'm thinking of the word. I'm like, what is it? So there, it's still a congregation up there, but the b- building itself doesn't stand anymore. So her faith was a huge part of her upbringing and it continued to be a huge part of the rest of her life. So some accounts of her as a child describe her as like a tomboy, which I feel like is a weird term, but I think that just means that she was very outspoken in quote unquote traditionally male like traits. She had so, a personality. Yeah, and and it's kind of similar to what you said. So I know her sisters were very much like Eliza, Eliza, Eliza. And pretty much everybody who met her was like that. I mean, I was reading, I pretty much focused most of my research off of the Alexander Hamilton book by Ron Chernow. So that's actually what the Hamilton musical was essentially based off of when um, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote that. But from everything that I read about her, people loved being around her. She was incredibly charming she was very likable definitely popular amongst people because people felt like she was just genuine and most of the accounts of her personality come from the way other people saw her there's not a lot of eliza's own correspondence even when we talk a little bit more about like her relationship with alexander uh which gives me some serious burn vibes i specifically wrote that because it's interesting that like there's all of these firsthand accounts of people experiencing her but there's not a lot of accounts of like her experiences yeah well she did I know in Burn they make it kind of a specific situation, but she did at some point destroy the majority of her own letters. Yeah. And no one knows why or when. Yeah. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda kind of made up a, a good guess. But it's I think some, it's a fair guess, definitely. Right. At some point, for some reason, she just took all her own stuff out of the picture. So now all we have is the other side of her correspondence. Right. And like from personal experience, after like a breakup, I have 100% Burn shit. Like, I am not going to, like, hide that fact. Like, I had a bonfire after I broke up with, like, my first ever boyfriend. So, like... Fair. Girl, yeah, she 100% is entitled to it, especially after, like, what happens to her. So, for the most part, um, Eliza stays off the radar radar, radar until February of 1780. So, she's 22 years old, and she goes to stay with her aunt in Morristown, New Jersey, which is super cool because um, I used to live, like, about an hour out of Morristown. So, yeah, it's actually a really pretty town, and if I have anybody that's, like, listening, they probably know what I'm talking about. It was a big area for the army during the American Revolution. So her aunt um, that she's staying with hosts a party where Eliza re-meets the dashing, penniless aide of George Washington. Uh, And I really mean that he literally had like nothing to his name, uh, Mr. Alexander Hamilton. They had actually met beforehand, which I thought was really cool. I didn't know this. Um, Hamilton had gone to the Schuyler's house for dinner on his way home from a negotiation on behalf of Washington. But that was a few years beforehand. And at this time, Hamilton was super taken with her. This was also the time that Eliza grew like very close with Martha Washington. And she was quoted as saying, quote, she was always my ideal of a true woman. And so she and Washington or Martha Washington grew close, um, which sort of brought her a little bit closer into Hamilton's circle as well. So after the ball party, whatever, Eliza and Alexander begins, uh, they begin like a lot of historians called it a whirlwind romance, but like it seemed pretty standard. I mean, I guess most of their, like, relationships took place in the beginning through letters. Yeah. But, I mean, if, like, if anyone's on, like, a dating site now, it's, like, <laughs> it's not really, like, Hinge is not really, like, any different. Yeah, <laughs> you know but it I mean? probably like, you're... shorter. Because for us, when people get engaged within months, that's really quick. But then yeah. it was a lot more common. 
Yeah, exactly. It was kind of just like, all right, well, there wasn't a lot of necessarily like dating. But for Eliza, it was considered to be love at first sight. Um, And pretty much from every account that I've seen, even people talking to her, people were always saying that Eliza just knew. Like the second she saw Hamilton, she was like, yeah, this is him. It's interesting because Hamilton was like a really good looking dude, apparently, uh, for the time period slash in general. I don't really know. I always feel weird looking at like people from the past because I'm like, were you good looking? Because I feel like you look like a troll. But like if you were hot, like, okay. Right. So for the time he was good looking, although like I've seen other accounts where people were like, yeah, he is good looking. And I don't know. I've seen he was supposed to be like a stud for the time. Mm -hmm. But I also now don't picture anyone but Lin-Manuel Miranda. I know. I had a hard time not picturing him while I was like reading this. I had a very hard time. Yeah. Even just researching Angelica and Eliza, I was like, okay, this is not like the people from the musical. Like these are other people. (laughs) I literally have to be like, right. They were white. Okay, they're right. white people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So on paper, Hamilton is like not a good match for a woman as high in society as Eliza was. I mean, he comes from literally nothing. He has no money, no stability. He doesn't even have like a fully legitimate birth father. He kind of does, but like not really. So he's definitely not the kind of guy that Eliza should even have in her address book because she was part of the most influential families in like New York um, and like super high society. So what did they have in common? Really, the biggest thing came down to it um, was that Philip, Eliza's father, really liked him. And he got along with him because they had very similar views on how government should function. They had very similar views on being in the military. And they both like vehemently supported Washington and his leadership. So the entire family actually embraces Alexander. This is um, and they recognize him. Like someone brings someone home. I'm just like, what are your political opinions? Because that's going to determine how this goes. Right. And it's interesting because, like, I feel like in today's society, it's like, just don't tell them, don't say anything about politics. Like, we don't talk, quote unquote, about politics in, like, quote unquote, polite society. But back then it was like, all right, where do you stand? But I also feel like it was a little bit more, are you for the revolution or are you against the revolution? (laughs) It was like, that was politics at that point. But in terms of Alexander's, like, genius, Eliza's whole family was, like, blown away by him. And they really were impressed with his level of intelligence and just his level of, like, his ability to rise throughout the ranks so quickly. And they all respected Washington so much that if Washington said he was a good guy, it was pretty clear that he was. There's still a lot of speculation, though, that Alexander really just wanted to marry Eliza because of her status and because of her financial situation. Well, yeah. Or at least that of her family's. Yeah. I'm a very not romantic person, so I'm like, is that not the point of getting married? Right. Especially back then. Especially if you're coming from, like, literally nothing. Right. But forget back then. Like, right now, show me your W-2. Yeah. That's, <laughs> like, that's completely fair. It's like, do you have a savings account? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's completely legit. And I think as much as I... See, now I'm the opposite where I'm, like, a heartless... Rom- like, a heartless... A hopeless romantic. The opposite of a hopeless romantic is a heartless yep. romantic. And I don't think I completely disagree yeah. But I do definitely feel like part of his motivation was like, well, listen, like she's also crazy wealthy. So a lot of their correspondence in their early stages of their relationship was described as being intimate and childlike, which weirdly freaked me out. Yeah. I don't know why. I think I just got like a weird kind of immature vibe. Yeah. And also, um, 
I'm going to play Mythbusters for one second. Yeah. Um, because I've seen people like, well, if he was just worried about the money, why didn't he just marry Angelica? Who oh, yeah. Some people say was more on his level or inv- interested in the politics that he was. So when they met, Angelica was actually already married and pregnant. Yes. Yes. So at the time, I mean, it would be a bad thing now to do that, but at the time, even more so. Um, it's probably never a good time. Right. It's never morally good, but it would have been, like, societally very bad. Um, so even if she did have some kind of crush on him, there was no chance of them getting together. So if he truly was conniving to marry a Skylar sister... Eliza was the next choice. Yeah, absolutely. And and I feel like, too, Eliza was, I think, more on his level in the ways that he needed her to be. So, Mm -hmm. and again, this is probably going to sound super, like, dated. And and as a woman, I don't really mean this. But, like, I think Angelica was so much like Alexander that, like, from what I read, it wouldn't have been the backseat support that Alexander needed in his career. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, so I think, like, Eliza was outspoken and and intelligent and a great listener and she provided Hamilton with feedback throughout their whole relationship about a variety of things and I think that would have been I think that was more of a a part of why he was so successful in in the times that he was successful because he had someone like Eliza sort of in the background but also like you know let's talk about this And, and Eliza wanted to learn from him too which I think he found super endearing but the letters is like a really really big part of it it's part of it in the musical anybody who knows anything about Alexander Hamilton knows that this dude wrote constantly like all the fucking time and his letters are really reflective of his personality in pretty much every way, um, especially in his correspondence with Eliza. So some of them make it really clear that he's smitten with her. So I have a one that is a really romantic quote. Um, so he writes in one letter, quote, I meet you in every dream. And when I wake, I cannot close my eyes for ruminating on your sweetness, which is literally the most like romantic thing ever. And at this point, I completely understand why people used to exchange letters because I think the most like romantic thing Eric has ever texted me has been like Pepper just farted so loud. She woke herself up. LOL. (laughs) So like he was good with words. See, and you can tell I'm not romantic because I'm like, if someone said that to me, I would pepper spray them. Yeah. You'd be like, okay, creep back up. Thanks. No, (laughs) I mean the dream thing. I've, I always got like mixed feelings about that. Like that's creepy, but also kind of cute, but yeah. I still feel weirdly creeped out. But then at the same time, I was reading other letters that he wrote specifically to his friend slash possible lover, John Lawrence. Definitely. And he describes Eliza as saying, quote, though not a genius, she has good sense enough to be agreeable. And though not a beauty, she has fine black eyes, is rather handsome, and has every other requisite of the exterior to make a lover happy, quote. So she has tits. That's what I got, right? I got the tits thing too. Yeah. And like people always said like, oh, her eyes are so beautiful because they're black. And I'm like that. I feel like I think of Satan when I think of black eyes. I think of like the ring. Yes. Yeah. I don't think of like, I guess it's like dark brown. But if somebody was like, you have such beautiful black eyes, I'd be like, I feel like you're staring into the depths of hell. I don't know. Mm. And then to just, I mean, I guess people described as rather handsome. So, you know, that's like normal, but like then every other requisite of the exterior to make a lover happy. Like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> you're right. It just means tits. She's got boobs. I'm happy because she has boobs. Correct. Um, even though she's not super pretty and she's like 
smart enough to be agreeable. So I kind of like delved into this quote a little bit more because I kind of felt annoyed by it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was really just like, because this was a letter to Lawrence, I think he downplayed it hard to oh, him. Oh, because him and Lawrence are in love. So he doesn't yeah. want Lawrence to know that he also likes Eliza. That's that's my vibe. Yeah. Okay. I always kind of felt like when I did some like really basic research on Hamilton when the musical first came out, I've kind of speculated wildly that he was bi. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do think that there is enough of a flirtatious interest in both men and women. And I think that's pretty yeah. like clear in his correspondence with both his friends and like the way that he interacted with other women. So I don't know. I just, I saw that quote and I was like, I feel like that is more about Hamilton than anything, but it yeah. is like a, a visible descriptor for what Eliza looked like too, which I think is, I mean, important when you're talking about her. True. So, um, so other than writing douchey things to his friends about her, Hamilton was super upfront with her about how he was concerned um, in terms of his wealth and social status. And in his letters, he always expressed his worries about being able to provide for her as his future wife. Um, and he was always like pretty honest. I can't really give you this life that you're living right now with your family. And I'm just worried about that. Um, so whatever he did, it definitely worked whatever game he was spitting or if Eliza was just like super besotted with him and his charm and intelligence and good looks. And she was kind of like, maybe I'm not that pretty, but I can get a guy like Hamilton. So whatever her thoughts were, she was super in love with Hamilton. And it was clear that Alexander really cared about her too. So um, they met in February. They were engaged by um, April and they actually got married at the Schuyler mansion on December 14th, 1780, just 10 months after meeting. So it's really, like you said, not the craziest timeline, but it was pretty quick by today's standards. But back then it was actually not too bad because Eliza's sisters all eloped. Like all of them were like peace. We're sneaking off to get married to random people that our father doesn't approve of. So what Eliza did was actually pretty normal. Um, So the couple had their honeymoon at the pastures, which was Eliza's childhood home. And I thought that that was a little weird too, because that's probably the last place I would want to go on my honeymoon. Um, (laughs) But then again, at this point, because like pretty much my whole wedding has been canceled because of COVID, like I'll go anywhere, like wherever the fuck you want me to go for my honeymoon. Like Going to the grocery store is a honeymoon at this point. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So once they're married, one of the few surviving letters uh, of Eliza's claims that marriage makes her, quote, the happiest of women. My dear Hamilton is fonder of me every day. And the my Hamilton thing is something that's going to last for literally the rest of her life, um, even during some super shitty times. So that so once actually, weirdly, <laughs> one yeah, of the yeah. things used to support the like notion that it's called Hamilton the musical because of her is oh. that in the musical, she and Angelica call him Alexander or Alex yes. throughout the whole thing. But in real life, she called him Hamilton the majority of the yeah. time. Even yeah. to him, right? Even to him. And even though that right. was her last name, she called him Hamilton. And the musical has her never do that. And so that was part oh. of the theory was that, like, calling him Hamilton would mean the title was him versus Hamilton right. meaning both of them. Oh, that's cool. I like that. My literary analysis of Hamilton, the American musical. Yeah, yeah. but I think it's, it's fair because you're right. It is very much her story in some respects, especially that, like, last song. Right. I never really thought of that. That's actually really cool. I mean, because she really does have a lasting love for him. Yeah. Like, the shit she puts up with, like, I, <laughs> I, she's a better person than I am. Or was a better person than I am, because I don't know if I could deal with that shit. 
And she also had just like a lot of responsibility. So that's actually kind of getting into it now. Like once she and Alexander are married, he has to return to his military service. Um, so they only are on their honeymoon for a few weeks, which is actually normal times now. But back then it was actually very, that's very short. Most honeymoons lasted for like weeks or months because you would pretty much like visit everybody that couldn't come to the wedding. Okay. Which I think is so absurd. So you could like go on your honeymoon and come back and have had like two kids while you're on your honeymoon. Well, so, I don't know if that's how that works. It's excessive. It's ex- <laughs> it's excessive. So early January of 1781, he and Eliza moved to New Windsor, where the army is um, stationed. And she and Martha Washington kind of pick back up on their relationship. They take on the responsibility of entertaining soldiers. I have no idea what the fuck that means. I, um, I guess just like feeding them. That's but what I think, like feeding sound... them and like hosting parties. Right. But it does sound like it means screwing them. It does. It literally is like Martha Washington, like stripping for the soldiers. It's <laughs> such, a, such an image to conjure. Oh. So only a few months later, apparently Hamilton and Washington had a falling out and the couple moved back in with her parents in Albany. Um, and then they go to a new home across from where they had just lived. And this whole time, Eliza is trying to create a home for them um, and their eventual family. He's help. She's helping him with his political writings um, including writing, writing a 31-page letter to um, Robert Morris. Um, so something super cool is also a lot of the notes and ideas of things that he created were in her handwriting, which means that he kind of like dictated to her like his ideas and that she wrote them down and listened and kind of worked with him to develop a lot of them, which is really cool. Yeah, I like um, that. Yeah. yeah, so she doesn't stay put for long. She moves back to her parents in Albany, um, and historians speculate this is the same time that coincides with when she probably discovered she was pregnant. So in January of 1782, Eliza gives birth to her first child, Philip, uh, named after her father. Because, again, this is all they do is just name everybody after each other. Yep. Uh, she and Hamilton con- continue to exchange letters um, as the army prepares for the Battle of Yorktown, which is the culminating conflict in the American Revolution. And this whole time, Hamilton is writing to her um, about everything and anything, confidential military secrets, how much he loves her, his new ideas. And that's sort of how they have conversations, which I think is actually really cool. That would um, also be me. Like, here's a letter about all the confidential military secrets. Yes. Which, again, I even reading that, I was like, that seems like a stupid thing to do. But again, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm not. I don't know how letters the- work. Right. Can you, like, break codes? I don't know. So on September 25th, 1785, uh, Eliza gives birth to her second child, who she names Angelica. Um, <laughs> I literally wrote again with the naming <laughs> every time she names a child. I'm like, what is happening? Uh, her third son is named Alexander, uh, is born in May 1786, and her last child was just born in September of 1785. No. So that is a quick turnaround. Holy shit. Uh, and her fourth child is born April of 1788. Yeah, she took a couple years off there. Yeah. I mean, I this I cannot fathom. Like, And it's not even like that. that I don't know. I've never been pregnant. So, But I can't imagine that it's easy on the body. And I know back then, like, you're yeah. sustaining a human life. So, like, I can't imagine back in the 1780s that, like, it was any easier. In fact, I imagine it was so much harder. I, um, the- yeah. So, like, the fact that she's just popping kids out is, like, pretty incredible. Um, yeah, and I she guess was- her mom had 15 kids, so. Yeah, so it was just part of it. And I think the other thing, too, is that Alexander didn't have a family. So, 
Like this mm-hmm. was it for him. This right. was like all that he had. So I think that that's probably a big part of that too. Like I could see her wanting to maybe give him this big family that he maybe always dreamed of. Yeah, I can see that too. So in 1787, uh, there were a few things that happened for Eliza. She sits for a portrait with the painter Ralph Earl. Uh, so Hamilton hears about Earl's issues because he's sitting in in a debtor's prison and Earl asks him, can I paint a picture for you? And so Hamilton goes to his wife, like, Hey, would you be willing to sit down for uh, this artist so that he can make money and pay his way out of prison? And she says, yeah, sure. Because I think the Hamiltons, yeah, I think overall they were really, I think they were genuinely good and charitable people in a lot of respects. Yeah. And it's actually the next thing um, that happens in that year is they sort of take in the youngest daughter of a friend of Alexander's. Uh, her name was Frances or Fanny Antill. So Fanny's father dies after she's been living with them for two years. And so she actually continues to live with the Hamiltons for another eight years Aww. until she's about 12 years old. And so Eliza and Alexander make sure to treat her as one of their own children. Aww. So they already have like four or five kids and now they've just taken on another one, which is pretty crazy. So during this time, I found a lot of stuff about the Hamiltons having a really active social life but Eliza kind of had to back out of that sometimes because she was pretty much always pregnant so she had a lot of expectations put on her because um, Hamilton is you know coming into his own career um, as a lawyer he's also trying really hard to build the government of the United States so she described her life at that time as being one where she had very little of private life so she was a lot like in the spotlight a lot she danced with Washington at the first inaugural ball she hosted a dinner for Thomas Jefferson when he returned home from France um, all the while managing the household that she and Hamilton were building And at this time, she's 32 years old. She's got five kids, one of which is not her own. And Alexander did not have a lot of money. So even though he was the treasury, uh, the treasury secretary, he had really shitty personal finances, like really shitty. So all this time, Eliza continues to support him, helping build his political career. She was a huge part of kind of acting as like an intermediary between him and his publisher as he works on the Federalist Papers. Uh, She copied portions of the defense of the Bank of the United States and listened to him develop Washington's farewell address. In August of 1792, Eliza gives birth to their fifth child, a son named John Church Hamilton. And I will know, John Church is Angelica's husband, so they don't hear either. Yes, I was like, why have I seen that name? And I was like, right, because that's John first name, last name. They just straight up took it. Yeah, I mean, like the lack of creativity is just like it's sad. Yeah. Um. So they maintained their homes. They had multiple homes, uh, throughout New York, uh, Pennsylvania, and Philadelphia, and in Albany. And in 1794, while living in Philadelphia, Eliza suffers a miscarriage at the same time that her youngest child gets sick. Um, And she's also worrying about Hamilton's absence because he is off trying to suppress the Whiskey Rebellion. So he's not really available for her either. So that is where Eliza is at when they're living in Philly and when shit starts to hit the proverbial fan uh, in terms of Hamilton's personal life. Yes. So we're at 1797 chronologically right now. Yep. And what happens in 1797 is some six-year-old tea comes out. So I'm going to rewind. I'm going to do the, you know, like record scratch. You're probably wondering how I got here thing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you're pulling a satisfied. 
Exactly. So in 1791, Alexander at that time is very powerful, but also very divisive. There's a lot of people who are enemies and really don't like him. And he's in the middle of a lot of controversial building the country things. And so Eliza and the kids go off to her father's house for the summer. And Alexander stays home alone. So he's home alone one night and someone literally just knocks on the door. And this man answers the door, which he's already lost me at home alone has a lot of enemies and answered the door yeah but it's a woman named mariah reynolds she's 23 years old he at the time is 34 Mm -hmm. so mariah reynolds just for a little background she was born to lower class parents um there's some belief that her mother actually was vaguely literate and therefore taught mariah some reading and writing which normally a lower class woman would not have learned at the time Mm -hmm. Um, but she's not as educated as Eliza or a lot of the people in Hamilton's echelon. So when she's 15, she marries a veteran named James Reynolds. Um, 15, I guess, was not that uncommon to get married at that age then, but it still gives you vibes when I say that. I know. And James Reynolds basically sucks from the start. So (laughs) he had fought in the Revolutionary War, and he continued to make his living off collecting damages from the government. So he basically, Mm. disability fraud is probably what we would call it now. Yeah. Um, But basically lived off of that. So when they got married, he moved Mariah to New York, or from New York City to Philly. And they had one daughter together. He was pretty abusive. She did not particularly enjoy her life with him. Like I said, he doesn't sound like the best person. He was also basically illiterate um which obviously does not make him a bad person but at the time it meant he did not have a lot of legitimate ways to make money everything he was doing was kind of under the table and she Mm -hmm. really wanted to get back to new york city with her daughter and away from him so she knocks on alexander's door uh tells him this story and asks for money and he organizes a meeting with her so her boarding house is only a few blocks away so he says i'll bring you some money tonight because he's dumb. I was reading that he, that at the time, Eliza was home and she showed up and he's like, I can't talk right now. Interesting. But I'll hit you up later, which I was like, gross. That's even, That's worse. even worse. Like, right? I was like, fuck that. That sounds terrible. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. And then the way the story is written, it's always he shows up with the money. And she's Mm -hmm. at the top of the stairs and lures him into the bedroom and basically, you know, makes it clear that she wants to have sex with him. I'm skeptical of this version of events. Yeah. But that's the one most records show. Yeah. They continue having some sort of fling throughout the summer and the fall of that year. Mm -hmm. And then Mariah comes to him and says her and James Reynolds have reconciled and Mm -hmm. She wants to get back together with him. And she even tries to get James a job with Alexander at the Treasury. Yep. And he says no and tries to break off the affair. So he, at that point, is like, no, we need to stop doing this. It's not good. Uh, James Reynolds doesn't like that. So he shows up angry, basically, and says, look, I know about the affair. But instead of actually caring about his wife, he just wants money to shut up about it. So he just starts blackmailing Hamilton. And Mariah figures this out and starts writing him letters. And I have a quote from one of the letters. It's kind of long and makes clear that she wasn't particularly literate. It's all one long sentence. Yes, I saw that she was like, any letters that she sent him was like 
really poor grammar and mm-hmm. it just was like like literally like what you said like one sentence mm-hmm. yeah like this ends like oh my god i feel more for you than myself and wish i had never been born to give you so much unhappiness do not write to him no not a line but come here soon do not send or leave anything in his power oh. which is just to say we we hear stan mariah reynolds and she did not do anything wrong yeah um he does end i up have this like theory that she was like a pawn for sure like i think she knew but yeah yeah okay keep going i have for the end of the episode i have two conspiracy theories about the whole affair that discount various people's involvement okay so he does end up paying off james reynolds who Mm -hmm. then says okay like cool thanks you can fuck my wife again which is like fucking crazy i'm sorry keep going (laughs) yeah and he gets Mariah in on it. I mean, you could argue that they were scheming and she was in on it, but... And that's why I feel like, I think, in in a respect, she was, but she wasn't. Because this is, again, not a time when women actually have any type of real power. So, like, right. it's pretty much like, you do this thing or you're on your own, so fuck off. So, if you're not going to blackmail this dude with me, yep. uh, you're, you're screwed. And so, I think that... She could have been scheming, but I don't think she was like behind it. it like that's why I called her a pawn before, because I exactly. think that she was a lot more. He was abusive, and it seems yeah. like he was basically making her continue to seduce Hamilton right. and extort him for more money. Yeah. So the last known time that they had any sort of um, relations was June of 1792, so about a year later, and the payments that are known about totaled to about $1,300, mm. um, which is. A little over $19,000 now. Holy shit. But I feel like $19,000 is a low amount to blackmail a politician for. I guess, but he had nothing. Secretary Steve Mnuchin, he would need to give me six figures. Yeah, that's fucking true. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. All right, keep going. I literally, I can't. Oh, God. And this whole as an aside right now is really not a story about Eliza. It's about Hamilton and James and Mariah Reynolds, but it will all come back around. Yeah. So James Reynolds, later that year, after they stopped the affair, he goes to jail for his fraud. So basically, he's been purchasing pensions off of dead soldiers' families or something of that sort. So he's like buying their identity to collect their back pay and their pension. So while he's in jail, they have Mariah write to Hamilton and ask for money to get him out. But Hamilton doesn't reply. Mm. And they're pissed about this. Mm -hmm. So he has this partner in crime buddy Klingman. I think James Klingman. His last name's Klingman. Reynolds does? Yes. Okay. And so him and his friend Klingman go to Hamilton's rival. So including like James Madison and a couple of other people on the opposite side of the political spectrum. Okay. And basically dangle a carrot and say like, we have dirt on Hamilton. And so those people show up at jail and they collect the letters from Mariah. Mm. And then as soon and they pay his way out of jail. As soon as he gets out of jail, he's gone. Just runs off. Yeah. So what they initially said is that the money he was giving to Reynolds was speculation, which was basically betting. It's a word for betting um, on the treasury. So they take these to be, hey, there's all this money going back and forth and he's abusing his position. Mm -hmm. And Hamilton is like, no, no, no. That's not what happened. I was just trying to fuck his wife. And all these other men are like, oh, okay, cool. We don't care anymore. Like, they are not scandalized by it. If he's not doing this sketchy betting on the treasury, they literally don't care. Right. But about five or six years pass. So this is behind Hamilton, behind the Reynolds 
No one is talking about it. Mm-hmm. And some Jeffersonian fanboy, right? Some person who loves Thomas Jefferson brings it back up <laughs> and accuses Hamilton. Yeah. Of it. And Hamilton panics and is like, no. But instead of actually saying no, he writes a 95-page pamphlet Jesus about it. And 95 the entire pages. story, he reproduces all the letters back and forth between him and Mariah and James Reynolds, publishes this. And while people didn't love the whole affair thing, really it called his judgment into question. People's right. real reaction was like, why were you stupid enough to write and publish this long thing? Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of the animosity he gets comes from, is that decision showed him in a bad light. Right. Um, yeah. I actually saw a tweet earlier that was like the Reynolds pamphlet was the original notes apology. Um, oh, okay. Notes screenshot yeah. apology. Yeah. But it said that Eliza didn't believe any of this until he published the pamphlet. Mm-hmm. And so it obviously came as a shock to her. Um, some of the things that were really the worst for her were he straight up says in the pamphlet that this affair happened in their home when she was yep. gone. So it was like in their bed. Um, he encouraged her to stay away mm-hmm. and stay with her father or go on different trips. And also this part is gross, but Mariah Reynolds was portrayed as dumb and trashy basically. And it looked bad for Eliza that he would pick a woman like that over a woman like her. Yeah. I'm not endorsing this, but it's one of the things that made it. No. Just- yeah. I mean, that was how the society viewed it but you know what i hate to say it but society still does that shit oh for sure like it's the like well like she's like how many times are women taught to tear down other women oh for sure especially when they're her, her yeah exactly yeah. yeah and then everyone just perpetuates that especially in the society absolutely basically and during the time all this is happening eliza is pregnant with their sixth child mm-hmm. um yep. she just had a miscarriage like you mentioned Mm-hmm. So she is initially like, screw this and goes to her parents and actually has the baby there away from Alexander. Mm-hmm. And the only reason she comes back is that their oldest son, Philip, has typhus and he needs medical care that they can only get in the city. So she does come back. But one thing to note is during that time, she is she's kind of hiding out, but she actually starts a lot of her fundraising in that time period. Yes. So she joins the like. It's a charity for widows and orphans, but it's called Relief for Poor Widows and Small Children, mm-hmm. which is not the best name. <laughs> but this is the time period where she actually picks all of that up. Yes. Um, and then, you know, I'll, I'll pass it back to you in a second for when they kind of start to to reconcile over time. Yeah. The one shout out that I want to do, this is like mariah reynolds related and not eliza but it's my favorite piece of information is that mariah reynolds later divorced james reynolds and aaron burr was her lawyer oh shit represented her in the divorce and aaron burr was actually like for the time a feminist in a way wow um not what we would call a feminist today but right for the time 1780s feminist yeah and so he represented mariah reynolds when she left the abusive husband and i love that small fact and then he helped her daughter get into a really good school and did all this stuff for her. So just a fun Mariah Reynolds wrap up there. But basically where we are is Eliza comes back to their home because their son is sick. The son gets better and she is now living in a house with Hamilton. Yep. So it takes a little while, like you said, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Eliza really just delved into charitable work um Mm -hmm. which is going to pretty much be like her legacy in in so many respects um but unfortunately for eliza shit just gets even harder 
So after the affair, she and Alexander reconcile, I guess to an extent that they feel okay with each other. They have two more children together. So okay um, enough. The first, yeah, so okay enough, right, that they're still, you know, making babies. Um, but I also think that, I think Eliza, I don't know how to say this without making it seem like she, I don't think she was weak. I think it takes a really strong fucking woman to be like, you fucked up. You made me feel like shit. You embarrassed yourself and this family. But I know that there's more to you than that. And I'm not going to just like throw away our like 20 something fucking years because you decided to have an affair for a year or so with somebody else. And I think maybe she kind of just whatever energy that like created for her. I also think too, there could have been some like, and again, this is wild speculation, but I definitely think that Eliza felt that Hamilton was still, I don't want to say her superior, but like was like a huge fucking catch for her. Yeah. Well, and timing wise too, it was not particularly easy to get a divorce as a woman. Right. And she was, uh, what was she going to do? Like, I mean, she had all of these children with him. Like she, her whole life was centered around him. And, and I don't, then that's why, like, I don't want it to seem like I think Eliza was weak. I think in fact, she was the opposite. I think she was incredibly strong to be able to look at the person that she loved and accept him for his faults, even though they were really terrible and they made their whole family look terrible. But actually Eliza's forgiveness is what kind of brought Hamilton back into just basic society like people were like well if someone who's great like eliza can forgive him then maybe he's worth forgiving in that respect yeah Um, at least on the surface i saw a good comparison and not to get controversial on this here podcast to (laughs) to like hillary and bill clinton yeah but it was like we don't really know what their relationship looked like after the affair and it's possible that wound never heals but there's some sort of strategic decision to it that the right thing to do isn't to break up. It's to find a way through it. Right. For public reputations and for as a woman in the 1700s, what are you going to do? And all that, that it just made sense. And like you said, is maybe somewhat the stronger thing to do is to find a way past that. Right. But I thought it was an interesting comparison. I think so too. I mean, this was also the first sex scandal in American history, followed by hundreds of others. But this was like the first one that people were like, damn, like this shit's real. Like this really happened. And not only that, but he's like sharing it with the world. So I think moving forward, Eliza knew that it was very much about his pride. But I also think she knew that he was capable of so much more. But that's kind of like, we could talk about that for a whole episode. But unfortunately, like I said, Eliza's life is just going to get worse. On November 24th, 1801, her eldest son, Philip, is killed in a duel. Um, And after he was shot, Philip was brought to Angelica and her husband's house. And he died, uh, I think he was 18 or 19. And his parents were pretty much just sitting by his side when he died. Um, from the gunshot wound from the duel. So at that point, Eliza had had her second to last child in 1799. And then in June of 1802, just a few months later, um, Eliza gave birth to her last child. And the son was named Philip in honor of his brother, which I hate. I hate it so much. Like, that's such a weird, like, replacement feeling thing. Like, like, uh, it's literally like, if uh, this is going to sound so fucked up, we're going to, like, lose followers. But, like, (laughs) If I got another dog and named it Stella, like, immediately after Stella dies. Like, yeah. I just 
feel like it's so weird. Like, I know it's like in honor of his brother, but like, it's like, oh, I miss Philip. And it's like, mom, I'm right here. And it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, well, to me, other this Philip. is weirder than like the three John Bradstreets. Yes. Because agreed. those children never lived. Yes. And so it is kind of an honor versus for 19 years, you had a son named Philip. Right. Now Who, you like, don't graduate college. Philip. Better get a new one. Yes. Yes. That's 100% the vibe I got. So I'm not judging, but I'm hardcore judging. So at the, <laughs> at this time, um, in the same year that Philip two was born, cause I, I mean, I didn't actually write Philip two, but like second Philip was born. Yeah. Uh, Alexander had commissioned the construction of the Hamilton family home. He named it Hamilton Grange based off of, um, his own father's home in Scotland. And the couple continued to live there and raise their children. And in 1803, Eliza left for her mother's funeral and the letters that existed at the time really show that I think Hamilton was kind of like a dog with its tail between its legs. And also like, I love the shit out of you and I just want to make sure that you're okay. And, you know, he writes a really beautiful statement. That's just like, I pray you to exert yourself. And I repeat my exhortation that you will bear in mind. It is your business to comfort and not to distress. Meaning like, don't stress about like, don't be devastated about your mother. Try to take care of yourself. That's kind of how I interpreted it. Um, but of course, anything positive for this woman is short lived because in July of 1804, this is the worst. Alexander becomes involved in the infamous duel with, uh, vice president, Aaron Burr. Stupid. And before he leaves for the duel, Alexander writes his wife two letters that say, quote, the consolations of religion, my beloved can alone support you. And these you have a right to enjoy fly to the bosom of your God and be comforted with my last idea. I shall cherish the sweet hope of meeting you in a better world. Adieu, best of wives and best of women. Embrace all my darling children for me. Quote. Bye. So a lot of speculation here too. Like Hamilton knew he was going to die. Um, and he kind yeah. of just wrote it out. Like you are the best thing that could have happened to me. You were the best wife. You were the best woman. And just love my kids for the rest of your life. Um, and so on July 12th, 1804, Alexander Hamilton dies with Eliza and all seven of their surviving children by his side. Uh, and his family is pretty much left destitute. So Eliza is stuck with the job of paying off his debts. Cool. And this is just the beginning of the badass shit that she's going to do on behalf of her family and her husband's legacy. But it's going to take literally years. So almost immediately... The 35-acre estate they had just built was sold at public auction because Eliza couldn't afford to keep it, and they'd only lived there for, like, two years. Um, eventually, though, the executors of Hamilton's will decided that Eliza couldn't, like, just lose her home because she also had all of these kids. And so they purchased it from the public auction and sold it back to her for half of the price. So it's helping. I thought it was a little weird to be like, instead of just being like, here, I'm going to gift this to you, which I guess you can't just gift a huge fucking house, but whatever. I guess, I don't know. But you but, can um, for a dollar. That's what I mean. But again, they did also just spend a lot of money on it. So yeah, like, I, mean, I guess it's okay. To her and she was like, I could pay this much. Right. Right. And that's, and so that's kind of the vibe that I got is that they, they wanted to make sure that she was like living in comfort for as long as she could. She lived there until 1833. Uh, she resold the Grange for $25,000 and the sale helped to fund her New York townhouse where she lived for nine years with two of her children. Uh, that house is now called the Hamilton Holly house. Um, 
So, so did like she you not said, get, like, a pension from him? Yeah, I'm about to get into that, because that's oh, kind sorry. of where she... No, no, it's okay. Like, a lot of her life is kind of, like... I don't want to say, like, fixing up the shit that Hamilton messed up, but, like... Fixing up kind the shit of. that Hamilton messed up. Yeah, exactly. So, like you had said, back in 1798, she had joined the Society for the Relief of Poor Widows with Small Children, which helped um, poor widows with small children. So, <laughs> two years after Alexander's death, she and several other women also founded the Orphan Asylum Society, and she was appointed vice president of that organization. So, in 1821, she was named the directress or president, and I am hereby what? saying, yeah, I think if... When I'm gonna say when we have a woman president, we yeah. say fuck calling her the president. We're calling her the directress because that the is commanderess in chief. Yes, yes. Oh, oh my god, love it. I just got chills. She <laughs> she served in this role for 27 years until she left New York in 1848. And so while she played these different roles with the Orphan Asylum Society, she raised money, collected goods, um, oversaw the care and education of over 700 children, which is really incredible. And like I said, by the time she left in 1848, she had been with the organization since its very founding, which was a total of 42 years. So the New York um, Orphan Asylum Society still exists as a social service agency for kids, but it's called the Graham Wyndham now. Oh, you want to cry? Oh my God, yes. So early when Hamilton the Musical came out, they did a performance at Grand Wyndham and all the students stood up and sang, Eliza, you have done enough. Oh to the tune my of God. The what? Yep. So just go I, die about that. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm going to definitely just go watch that for six hours and contemplate my entire existence. Correct. Um, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So all of this philanthropic work she did led her to be inducted in the philanthro- uh, philanthropy section of the National Museum of American History. Eliza also petitioned to collect her late husband's pension from his army service, which he had originally waived, which I don't really understand why, no. but whatever. Um, and so in 1836, she was able to literally go after the government and be like, you need oh. to give me $30,000 pension including land and the government granted it to her. Um, So Eliza left New York in 1848 and she did this to go live in Washington, DC with her widow daughter named Eliza because like, why the fuck not? Uh, And she lived there until her death in 1854, but she did not stay quiet while she lived in DC. Um, Instead, Eliza worked tirelessly to preserve her husband's legacy. She spent months working with her son, John Church Hamilton, to reorganize the literally thousands of letters, papers, and writings that Alexander had crafted throughout his entire life. There were a lot of setbacks getting the biography published. Uh, There was a lot of writers that actually attempted to write this biography and then would basically try for like two months and be like, fuck this. This is way too much. I can't do it. Um, And they basically give up. And so at a certain point, I think one of her kids was like, John, you got to just do this because mom's going fucking crazy. And if you don't get this done, like she's going to lose her absolute shit. So please just sit down with her. Like I could just picture like adult children talking about their very elderly mother. Yeah. Like one of us has to go. Yes. And it's got to be you, John Church. So (laughs) he eventually published the book called History of the Republic of the United States America and traced in the writings of Alexander Hamilton and his contemporaries. So that's the whole title. Yeah. Very catchy. New York Times bestseller. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where she is um, in terms of towards the end of her life. So I know that you said you have a conspiracy. So I feel like I want to hear about that. Which I was not expecting when we did research. I did not think I had a conspiracy theory. Yeah, we've been talking about this. Two that are similar 
regarding the Reynolds pamphlet and the Reynolds affair, which let's back up. Why is it called the Reynolds affair? It's the Hamilton affair. But anyway, no, because it's the woman and she's got to get blamed because. Um, Anyway, so there's basically two theories that the entire Reynolds pamphlet is a lie. So one, the more prominent theory is that besides this pamphlet that Hamilton published, there's no evidence that an affair occurred and that it wasn't actually a financial scandal. So in the pamphlet, Hamilton reproduces all of these letters between him and the Reynolds, but they're not primary documents. And he actually said a friend had the original copies and then the friend was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So some people think that it may have been forged basically and that he was involved in some sort of financial speculation regarding the treasury oh wow and basically that was so shameful that it was better for him to have had an affair and that Holy he made shit. the whole thing up and part of the the things used here is mariah's letters where we talked about their written kind of rambling and the grammar isn't very good but some people that have analyzed them like linguists claim that there's a weird mix in there where they'll use a complex word, but then misspell a really simple word in a way that doesn't actually make phonetic sense. So So this is like those people who, and of course, I know you know this because we both listen to true crime podcasts, but like people who like fake, like, okay, I'm thinking like John John Benet Ramsey, where it's like, I'm going to spell these words wrong, even though it's like not possible, or it's like a weird way to spell them. There's a way that you would misspell a word if you were truly illiterate and have very basic knowledge of English. Yeah. And that's not how these were misspelled. And so people said that it looked like a very educated man trying trying to write as a very uneducated woman. Wow. And so that theory is that there truly was a financial scandal going on and it was just better to have an affair. So he forged this whole thing. Oh, shit. Then there's sort of a spinoff conspiracy theory in which some people say, yeah, this seems fake and it seems to be forged and like it didn't happen. But I don't think it was Hamilton. They think it was Klingman. So if you remember, Klingman was Reynolds' like BFF partner in crime in prison. Right. And he was actually a bookkeeper and involved in all these fraud claims as well so he was already kind of a shady dude and Mm. the other theory is that he forged these letters to hamilton so that hamilton actually did have this affair but he was basically a pawn in it and that Klingman orchestrated the whole thing basically he had had the means to do it because he was a professional fraudster right he had a motive to get both to get money and because he was a jeffersonian and and he had the opportunity by using james and mariah reynolds so the other theory basically says they were produced to deceive but they were produced to deceive hamilton and basically dragged down james and mariah reynolds with him and wow and gotten used which is what hamilton claims essentially is that he was part of a scam right and, and he says it's james and mariah but it could have also been this Klingman fellow. Oh An my God. note is that Mariah remarries to Klingman. What? So James disappears and she marries this guy. So they clearly have some weird like entanglement mm, happening over like there. Um, yeah. So the other it's not real theory is that the affair was real and Hamilton really did do that and did not mean to be involved in financial stuff. Right. But that I mentioned James Reynolds was basically illiterate. Mariah Reynolds is thought to have been mildly literate, but the reason that's thought is these letters. The only evidence there actually is that she could read or write 
were these letters reproductions of these letters so it's possible that she never wrote these letters Klingman wrote these letters pretending to be her and pretending to be james to get money out of hamilton to have a way to topple him wow so that one's maybe a little far-fetched and involves a lot of a lot of conspiracy um yeah but both were there's like a lot of players in that yeah there's a lot of players to keep track of and it is kind of spun off of the initial one that is hamilton is just lying which seems more feasible to me i don't know that i think it's true but it seems more feasible especially because you know that thing you do where sometimes if you're lying you make up too many details yes yep and i feel like that's how you get a 95 page pamphlet instead of like a one page hey this rumor's going around it's not true i made a mistake and had an affair my bad mm-hmm. he's like here's 95 pages about how i actually had an affair would you like to see proof of the affair here's some proof of the affair and that i wasn't doing the other thing yeah um and it feels very much like that but i was excited to find conspiracy theories as yeah. i Heck yeah because i remember we talked about this last week and we were like oh well, there's probably not going to be any conspiracy theories for eliza but like yeah damn, there is like a whole thing about it yeah there's and like- it makes me sad too because like she had to like overcome that and like if that wasn't real she had to like put herself through this like emotional trauma of like dealing with her cheating but not actually cheating husband that's what which is interesting because and hamilton was lying he should have just told her like right look i did this really bad thing we're just gonna pretend i had an affair so we still have money right right but you know what and that's the thing i again i don't know this i obviously don't know hamilton personally but i just i get the vibe that he was like there's no consequences for him yeah so like for him it was like yeah right oh that's right he was a white man so yeah i (laughs) so i feel like yeah for him it was like yeah whatever i can do whatever the fuck I want and it doesn't matter. And then when shit hit the fan, he was sort of in this panic mode. And I think even looking at his writing in the past, you know, if you look at like the Federalist Papers, I mean, like he wrote the majority of that shit and he just kept writing and writing. So while I could definitely see him being like, okay, I'm telling a lie and I need to make sure I get all of these facts straight and I'm showing everybody. I could also see it being him just being that writer. That's, so explicit with his detail that there's no way that anybody could question him. Yep. That's which true. makes him which makes him weirder, I right. think. Well, because it's like what you said before. Yeah. It people are like, why the fuck would you tell people all of this? Just yeah. Shut up. It's like those people on Facebook that like go through <laughs> their whole yes. drama and then like their like ex starts commenting on it and then I've seen like their ex's mom comment on it and yes. I'm like, what am I watching this is like a dumpster fire but i feel like that's kind of what this was i will give it to eliza who managed to basically just hold this against james madison for the rest of her life Mm -hmm. um like there is a thing where they were or monroe james or yes it was was james monroe yes that's literally in my next paragraph oh yeah the thing where like he comes to the house like 30 years later and she won't talk to him yes yeah. And like, so, yes, yeah. because your husband did still do the thing, not right. not James, right. but I really appreciate her ability to just be like, nope, I'm blaming you and we're not friends. Yep. And actually, that's a great transition into like her end of life sure. because she pretty much spent the rest of her life into her like 70s, 80s and 90s, like protecting Hamilton from all of his critics. So people didn't like Hamilton for a lot of reasons other than the fact that like the whole sex scandal thing, I think it's like what you said before. People didn't really give a shit about the affair. They gave a shit that people like he like made everybody read about it. Yeah. And that was, it was like a judgment thing. It was like, I don't think this is a smart way to get people's attention, buddy. But 
that was a big part of why people like criticized him. And so for the most part, she spends like the majority of her life trying to bring back some semblance of pride to Hamilton and his legacy. She works to claim authorship of Washington's farewell address um, that Hamilton helped write. Uh, she demands a formal apology, like you said, from James Monroe. And he's the one that accuses Alexander of financial improprieties. Yeah. And she basically is like, you need to not only apologize, but you need to apologize publicly. And he would, he like went to her house to talk to her. And I'm pretty sure the story goes like, you're right. She wouldn't let him in until he had made a formal apology. And yeah. then she would like welcome him into her parlor. Which again, she also petitioned because you're, you're mad about the pamphlet Alexander put out. Right. About his affair. Right. Right. But, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so she did a lot of stuff. She petitions Congress to buy and publish Alexander's writings in June of 1848. She basically wanted the work added to the Library of Congress in order to help future historians understand what work her husband had contributed and dedicated his life to for the government. And on top of all of this, she's still highly focused on charity work and she's assisting Dolly Madison and Louisa Adams to raise money to help build the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. Her devotion to Hamilton was literally through and through to the very end of her life. She apparently wore a pendant that had pieces of a sonnet that he'd written her when they were first exchanging love letters and she she began to struggle with short-term memory towards the end of her life. And by 1846, the only thing that she could frequently recall was her Hamilton, quote unquote. And whenever she gave tours of her home, she would stop and direct visitors' attention to this like bust of her husband that was done in the style of like a Roman senator. And um, in the book, in the Alexander Hamilton book by Ron Chernow, it was very, like, the person describing it was, like, she would just get lost in thought. Like, she would actually just stand in front of the bust and stare at it for, like, a good few minutes. I know. And she would just always be, like, look at my Hamilton, you know? And she'd always make these comments, like, I just can't wait to, like, see him, you know? Like, I just... I'm so excited to be reunited with him. And that like always kind of broke my heart. And so that eventually is the case on November 9th, 1854. At the age of 97, she was buried next to her husband in the graveyard of Trinity Church in New York City, also near Angelica's grave, as well as where her son, Philip, was buried. Um, And that is Eliza Schuyler Hamilton. I love her. Yeah, she's our first badass bitch. Yeah, that reminds me that we need to introduce a new short segment in which yes. the douchebag of the episode. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Okay, let's start now. Who is today's douchebag? I'm going to go James Reynolds. Okay. Um, I think Alexander has a couple points points in his column. But yeah. overall, overall, I think James Reynolds, the abusive husband who somewhat orchestrated an extortion scheme and then ran away and also yeah. lived off of stealing dead soldiers pensions. Yeah. OK, I can't even I can't even think of a different douche like this is also mine. Yeah. The best, next best option was Klingman, his little friend. No, I was thinking that. But I guess but then I think, too, OK, if Klingman had been like interested in Mariah, Maybe he was, like, just trying to get her out. Right. We don't have evidence that he was abusive. Yeah. They were married and together for the rest of whatever. Yeah. Um. So I don't I don't feel confident enough to say him. So I'm going to call James Reynolds my douchebag of the episode. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you because I think I could vehemently defend Hamilton because I think he right. contributed a lot. But at the same time, I think he was a douche in his own respects. But I think in terms of, like, the episode or the story arc, James Reynolds for sure. Yeah, I agree. So we figured that 
every historical story probably has some old white man who sucks. Yeah. And so we would just, yeah. as we were doing badass bitches, we would nominate their counterparts, which are just douchebags that exist. Douchebags. <laughs> Douchebag dudes in yep. the story yeah yeah i mean that's great i love that segment we're gonna i'm gonna put that in the show notes that we're gonna just make sure we always have a douchebag dude in the story perfect so i don't think it'll cool. be hard no definitely not at all i'm sure we'll find at least one yeah <laughs> maybe one day we'll have different ones and then we can argue about that we can debate yeah debate <laughs> the douchebag dude <laughs> douchebag dude debate oh yes. my god all right folks that is it that's all we have for you today thank you so much for listening yes and thank you guys for listening to the last episode and we're only a couple days in and already over 100 downloads on our first episode so we're really excited yeah. and it feels great yep hope you enjoyed this we want to do more badass babes over time and eliza was a great place to start for sure all right thanks guys thanks. bye Thank you for listening to What the History Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WTHistoryPod. You're also welcome to email us at WhatTheHistoryPodcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions or questions. Please subscribe to the podcast so that upcoming episodes show up in your feed and we will talk to you soon.